Welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Frank Spring, joined by Ellie Jacobs, and in answer to your questions, yes, by all means, feel free to compare him to a summer's day. Hey, Ellie. Hey, Frank. Uh, It's sad to be here without Jason, but always good to be with you. Uh, We'd like to thank all of our listeners for their comments, both positive and negative. There were a couple of those this week. And urge everybody to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Um, The Casper Mattress folks uh, desperately need to see how many people are subscribed to us. How many of our bedridden, lethargic, borderline comatose, (laughs) Willy Willy, you know, Willy Wonka esque grandparents stuck in bed? We imagine that most of you, our listeners, all first of all, we imagine that you all sleep in the same bed, uh, you know, stacked like sardines, but with your heads on opposite sides. uh, And per Willy Wonka, uh, and generally speaking, this is a podcast for the extremely exhausted. Yes. It is uh, more than anything. It is by and for people who really just want to lie down, and, and that's why we. That's why we got into this business. Not because we want to be funnier, because we want to have any insight, and it's a, it's a good thing too. Um, but because uh, we we just we just want to move some mattresses, man. That's, yes, that's what we're in it for. We just so want to move some mattresses. We're, we're hoping the docet tones of our voices lull you into a solid sleep. Uh, but please follow and uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship. And that's ship with a P as in plebe. And we are on Facebook, although very bad at updating the page. Uh, so we're kind of like your aunt, I yeah. guess. Or, or ourselves. I'm lousy at updating. Yeah. Page. Also that. Yeah. Did you yeah. mean dulcet tones? Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's say dulcet. Let's, no, let's say dulcet. The dulcet tones of uh, this podcast. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so in the past few episodes, uh, You've had a lot of me being furious. And, and don't thank me now. I know that's what you came for, and I'm only too happy to oblige. Uh, but there are, there, is a, there are occasions when uh, someone else's fury is greater than my own, and, and that fury must be released in a kind of controlled detonation, uh, lest it, it develop the kind of, of self-sustaining energy um, that is typical of a, a, a nuclear chain reaction or uh, a fight in a pool hall. Uh, and, and so in order to, to uh, forestall uh, the, uh, a, a critical detonation and a public health hazard, we turn now to Ellie Jacobs, who will give us his insights and fucking how. <laughs> yeah, so uh, because I respect trees and the pool, indus- pool hall industry too much, uh, I, I, rather than going around and just cracking cue, you know, cue, cue sticks over people's heads, uh, you'll just have to listen to me rant for a couple of minutes. So, so, by the um, way, these things are not mutually exclusive. If you feel like you need to go and crack someone with a cue stick, uh, that's your own call. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, is there a cue stick like internet thing like Casper mattresses or like a Casper mattresses for cue sticks? Cue sticks. Don't talk about comfortable. This cue stick is perfect for playing pool and also can really give someone a concussion. <laughs> talk talk about a soft tip. Talk about this examiner. Oh man. It breaks off nicely leaving with it leaving you with a jacket end you can stab someone with. Yeah. Good for pool, good for clubbing, good for shanking. A Casper pool cues. Dot com. Use the 
hashtag, you know, use the code word billiards for a discount. Uh, but what, uh, basically what got me amped up this week. Uh, so many of you know me, many of you don't. Uh, for the better part of my professional career, I've usually been down to D.C. once every six weeks, I would say on average, over the last you know, decade and a half plus. Um, surprisingly, I haven't been down that frequently since Election Day. Um, I was down uh, probably uh, a, a week after the election, and uh, I was down in June, and I, I just came back from D.C. this week, where uh, I got to sleep on a very comfortable, we're not sure if it's Casper mattress or not, in uh, Frank and his wife's lovely apartment. Um, but what really caught me was the week, the, when I was there after the election, it was very much like the whole city was sitting some kind of shiva. They were all kind of in mourning, both Republicans and Democrats. It was just sort of like shell shock. People were being nicer, you know, holding doors open, uh, stepping aside from the door when you get on the metro. Um, and that was sort of understandable. Um, but when I was back down in June and when I was just in, in this week, uh, there is a, a, a certain large group of people, and this is certainly not just, uh, you know, any subset of Democrats or progressives, um, who are still sort of in this mindset. And it, it, it bothered me because they're bas it's basically a way to ignore uh, reality, uh, which is unfortunate because whether we like it or not, um, Trump is the president. And you can spend as much time as you want glued to your iPhones and Twitter, careening from crisis to crisis and sending out just the snappiest hot take about, you know, whatever damage he's doing, whatever damage you think he's doing to the country. Um, but it's, you know, unhealthy mentally, physically and emotionally to keep that going um, for four years, uh, let alone, you know, the 270 odd days that he's been in office at this point. More importantly, it's distracting from more important things. So thing number one, Donald J. Trump Donald John Trump, Dojo, as I think we're going to start calling him now. Uh, he is the president and will likely remain the president for the foreseeable future, if not then full four full full four full years, then potentially for eight. Um, it doesn't matter that he is entirely unqualified, that he is a boorish human being, that he's a carnival barker, that he has no right to the nuclear codes that he is using the presidency to, to enrich himself and his family. None of that matters. And polling demonstrates that, it, that people don't much care about that either. Uh, there's a lot of polling that came out in the last week that shows that Democratic attack, attacks on Trump have not worked whatsoever. Um, the people who, they're, who the Democrats need to sway to regain some power are the selfsame people who knew exactly for what and for whom they were voting uh, this past November. They went in with no illusions about who Donald Trump was and just how repulsive of a human being he was. And the fact that the polling cratered so horribly after his Charlottesville fuck up um, kind of demonstrates that these people knew who they were dealing with, but there are lines that, that, that are still too far for these people to cross. I mean, this is a group of people who knew what they were doing and they knew why they were voting for him and what they were hoping to get from it. Um, and that is essentially they wanted to blow up the system because they felt as, again, as polling and whether you want to agree polling or not, you can also just go knock on somebody's door and talk to them. The only thing that really focuses voters right now is that there is a general sense that things are not right, that things are unfair and the deck is stacked against them. And the American dream, as Frank and I have discussed on this podcast before, is farther out of grasp than it has ever been in the past. 
And there is an opportunity for Democrats now to not necessarily unify around a message or a slogan or a specific policy, but to actually do the hard work of politicking. Um, there are 10 Senate seats that need to be defended. There are 24 House seats that need to be flipped to regain the House. There are 26, 26 um, um, congressional seats in which the holder is a Republican, but Hillary Clinton won the district. There are, have been a slew of retirements from the House already. Um, and Democrats are kind of blowing this right now because too many people are still focused on the fact that Donald Trump won and Hillary Clinton lost. And whatever you think about Hillary Clinton's uh, media tour around her book, whatever you think of the book, which uh, admittedly I have not read, um, it's not necessarily helping the situation, but it's, it shouldn't be hurting the situation because we shouldn't be relitigating what happened. We should be saying, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is what we're going to do with it. And the what we're going to do with it is really what's bothering me because it doesn't seem like enough people are doing something about it. Uh, the Republicans are essentially one house uh, state house seat away from having a majority of state houses across the country and which means that they can call a constitutional convention and you want to talk about where they could do just horrific utter unbelievable damage to the progressive liberal pragmatic sensible you know 21st century agenda of a thinking human being that'll be it i mean it'll just be the worst of the worst um so People should get off their asses, stop mourning, recognize that the reality that we're in sucks. It's like being stuck in a bad job that you have to go to every day, day in and day out, and work to try to make it a little bit better. So one thing that, um, that I'm now going to turn to Frank uh, to talk to with me a little bit is essentially Steve Bannon on 60 Minutes last week, wearing his many shirts and with some kind of alien growth pulsating on the side of his face, essentially declared war on incumbent Republicans. And the Republicans are running scared right now. We've seen five or six uh, retirements from what have generally been um, assumed to be safe Republican seats, even though that they were in swing districts. But the member was, you know, uh, would have probably walked to reelection. I'm thinking particularly of somebody like Charlie Dent. Um, they're retiring because they're terrified of an internal primary in which they will most likely lose. Um, so the Republican Party is going to be at a civil war during this election. What are we going to do about that? How are we going to take advantage of that? How are we going to more pinpoint the issues where we divert from Republicans, particularly Bannon's brand of, I don't even know if they're Republicans, they're just batshit, lunatic, insane people. Um, but Frank, maybe you have some thoughts on these House retirements, why they're happening, what Democrats can happen, and I'm going to take a sip of beer and try to lower my blood pressure. <laughs> Good. All right. <clears throat> you, you're, you're right on point about, so, I mean, you know, people retire from, from Congress for all sorts of reasons, um, but, the, but you're right on point about, I think it is to do a little bit with Bannon and Trump. I don't think it's so much that they're necessarily afraid of the internal primary, although some of them would have very good reason to be. Uh, and if you want to know, uh, you know, and this is one of the big sort of tests for this is that, you know, Trump and his, you know, his people are, uh, but especially Trump have been explicit occasionally about He mainly calls out senators, Republican senators. Uh, and for a while there was a sort of, there was a real question about whether there was anything to back that up. Like, Oh, you know, like I, you know, we'll undo, you know, I'll, you know, I'll find some way to screw over the Senator who I don't like and, and, and doesn't agree with me. Uh, you know, ask, uh, Jeff Flake if any of that has any validity. Uh, now running second in his own primary. Uh, so, you know, and this is, you know, you know, and for an incumbent senator to be in danger, in any danger of losing a, a, a primary is pretty remarkable. 
So, and how much of that is about Trump and how much of that is about just the structure of politics and where Flake has found himself on some of the kind of hot button issues in Arizona is a separate question. But but clearly there is some danger to incumbents in a, in a primary that has not necessarily existed has not necessarily existed before, and that's that's part of a trend, right? This isn't the first year that's happened. Ask Eric Cantor, like you can you can be you know you can be beaten from the right, uh, and that that's just a function of the way the Republican Party has been the last few years. But it seems to be getting worse. I think some of it is a genuine fear of losing their losing their jobs in this in this way. Um, I suspect some of it is they're just sick of this crap. I mean, you know, if you were a if you were a Republican, particularly if you're part of the so-called Tuesday group. Uh, which is meant to be the somewhat sort of more moderate caucus of the Republican Party, you know, you waited, or for that matter, actually, if you were, uh, you know, there's sort of two different sides to this, but or you were Freedom Caucus and you were elected in 2010 with the explicit and stated goal of undoing most of the Obama agenda uh, because he was behind it, right? Uh, you know, you've got a president, you've got, you know, your your president is in power, the Supreme Court is controlled by conservative justices, Uh your, uh, uh, your, uh, you know, you have the Senate, you have the House, you are, as you referenced earlier, Ellie, you've got all of this, you know, you've got enormous amount of, of structural support from local politics across the country. And so far, it is, there's a real question as to whether or not Republicans can organize a piss up in a brewery. Uh, there's, you know, there's no repeal of Obamacare. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, a lot of the uh, travel ban and some of the other part of the agenda has been, is, you know, is, is tied up in court. Uh, it's just not, it, there, you know, if I were, if I were either a, a moderate Republican, I wouldn't want to stick around with these people because I'd be tired of being tarred with the same brush uh, and having to genuflect to a, a party leader who won't condemn white supremacists. And if I were a Freedom Caucus member, those, they tend to be a little more motivated. I don't necessarily know if we're going to see a lot of retirements there, but I would begin to wonder, okay, when exactly do we get to, when do we start burning this thing down? When, when does the winning start? Yeah, when does the winning start, right? Like when do we like, when do we actually light this particular match and will and watch it burn? So I think for all of I think this may be about fear of loss. I think primarily it's just about being sick of this crap. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I, I think that a lot of it is, you know, let's say let's say you're not the twenty year incumbent. Let's say you got elected two years ago, four years ago. You came in with a plan, you worked really hard to get elected. You like seeing your picture on the TV. Your wife is happy to get to go to the parties, you know, whatever it might be. Four years in, uh, you're sleeping in your office because you can't afford to have two apartments. Uh, you never get to see your kids. You never get to see your wife or husband, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. And, but you, and you have accomplished precisely zero of what you set out to do. Sure. And, and there are people who are, and that is completely, yeah. you know, but yeah. I actually respect people who will reach that conclusion and just kind of hang up their hat. Sure. No, that's, that, that's a perfectly defensible position. And there are people who, you know, going, going out because of a prime, because of a potential primary, I have less respect for it. Sure. I mean, but again, you're, and, and there's, and I think, I think the sort of the, the point here is this is, you know, human behavior is multiply determined. That's what's happening in both of these cases. I suspect that more than the fear of primary, I think it's, about the idea that just being being in this Republican Party right now uh, is, I suspect, for a lot of people, a an exquisitely trying and indeed probably a very painful process. Uh, and I think that you know, and my hope is, I want to give some credit where credit is due. That some of these people might want to have a shot at being on the right side of history. You'd hope. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you see Republicans. You know, during the campaign, if whenever Trump would cross the line, you'd see a whole bevy of Republicans come out and say, "You know, I'm not going to support him anymore. Uh, he should drop out." 
you know, obviously a lot came around with the access Hollywood tape. The next day they're all back on board. Sure. Because, yeah. because the whole goal was, uh, you know, we, you and I have said repeatedly on, on, on this outlet for our dozens of listeners and other ones that have much larger listeners, when your entire party operating philosophy um, for getting elected was for tax cuts and, and not, not tax reform necessarily, but tax cuts. And there's an important, as we've discussed before, there's an important difference in deregulation. If that's your whole game plan, that, that's not particularly inspiring. You know, it, it's not, you know, Reagan-esque of we're going to defeat the evil empire and, and we're going to rechange the economy and, 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 you know, reestablish America and the world. It's not even, you know, George W. Bush of this compassionate conservatism. Yeah, there is a there is an absence of overwhelming vision here, except to pull out pull up by the roots everything that took that took root during the Obama administration. Right. You know, uh, which which does, does, yeah, which does mean that there is a sort of absence of a governing ethos. Although I will say, um, you know, running on you know slashing government and cutting taxes has kept the Republican Party afloat as a as a political force for you know thirty five years. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not like that's suddenly gone up. I think the more I look at this stuff, and again, I wanted to give credit to to some of the Republicans who are who are throwing in the towel. I think overwhelmingly, it's a it it's it is you know personal circumstances aside. Usually, this happens when there is at least the possibility of going through this grinding, absurd process and losing either in a primary or general. You know, if you if you have an absolutely one hundred percent safe seat. Uh, I suspect you are probably thinking about how to, how, you know, about just digging in for the long haul. Yeah. So that's, you know, I think there's probably, it is a combination of like, as you say, the fear and also just being like, why should I go through this and and very reasonably face the possibility of defeat? Which you know, is what's we, happening in swing districts. Yeah. If we end up in a situation, again, this is the Senate, not the House, but if we have in a, in a situation where uh, Roy Moore beats uh, Luther Strange and Jeff Flake loses mm-hmm. over the next you know 18 months, whatever it might be, um, Shit's going to be bonkers. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. It, I mean, the, I mean, the it, entire it, calculus it, could be flipped. It, it takes dumbest timeline America, and it doesn't necessarily make it dumber. It just turns it into like bizarro world dumbest timeline America. Oh, it is. I mean, the, the idea that that might happen. That and it's it's entirely plausible that Luther Strange is going to lose, and oh, yeah. maybe not as plausible, but certainly like, but certainly possible that Jeff Flake loses. Oh yeah, and as a result, you could end up in a situation where it is it is entirely in keeping with dumbest timeline America that the GOP should, on its own, at those in those two states, contrive to end up having to fight long and bloody slugfests, expensive slugfests against Democratic challengers in what should have been stone cold lock Republican holds, mm-hmm. uh, possibly losing one or I mean I guess technically it's possible they could lose both of them, uh, but like that, but that is and again the point about dumbest timeline America. It is true that progressives in dumbest timeline America must accept that we are the owned, the trolled, and the furious, right? Like we're owned, trolled, and furious. There's, there's honestly not a whole lot that we can really do about a lot of this stuff, except to just take our goddamn lumps. Uh, but nonetheless, dumbest timeline America afflicts not just the Democratic Party; it afflicts the Republican Party as well. It afflicts everyone, right? Like I would argue, it almost, it almost afflicts the Republican Party more. 
Yeah, they have really. I will. I will give them credit for this. They have recognized. They first of all, they precipitated in many ways uh, the the conditions and the and and the sort of the grand strategy to the extent there is one of dumbest time on America. Uh, but also, uh, they have leaned into it much, much harder than we have as a party. I mean, we, we've done our bit, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're really looking for people who said, this is dumbest timeline America, let's get weird. Uh, I, you know, I have to take my hat off to the to the. Yeah, room. I mean, you know, this week, Ted, Ted Cruz uh, likes a porn site on uh, Twitter. And then in an interview with CNN, defends his position on sex toys. Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is peak, that that was peak dumbest timeline America. Actually, it's not peak. Peak will be discovered. So we'll we'll figure out a new peak next week. It'll be even more awful. But, it's like the Himalayas. But, there are many peaks. Yeah. But the image of like we, we haven't yeah, so we, we haven't yet rest, reached Everest. We have that's, that's that's precisely it. But but honestly, like yes, that is such a perfect example of dumbest timeline America. Sure, like Ted Cruz, you know, gets gets caught liking a tweet, gets caught liking porn on Twitter. Like those are not worth. First of all, ten years ago, we all would have been like, what the fuck is any of that? Yeah. Um, but also, like, sure, I mean, that's like that is classic dumbest timeline America, and it and it fills us all with just just awful awful imagery that we can never remove from our scarred brain. Yeah, and I mean, the best part is during this interview, he, you know, proclaims himself a libertarian and he doesn't want government in people's bedrooms. I'm pretty sure as solicitor general, he defended the Texas sodomy ban. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But so, again, this, I mean, this, this, I mean, this guy will say, this is just lying to anyone Ted. for any, like, yeah. Trump was right about that one. Lying yeah. Ted. Yeah. That was a pretty good call. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, the, the word, the most troubling part of it is that like his face while he's watching, you know, while he's watching porn on, on Twitter, uh, I guess uh, uh, his uh, face uh, while he's watching porn on Twitter is the same as his face while he's giving a speech, the same as his face after he's murdered a drifter. Right. Like this right. guy, he's, I mean, Ted Cruz is all, Ted Cruz's face has always struck me as being, his expressions have always struck me a little bit like, uh, Mission the Mission Impossible movies. The moment when someone takes off the mask they have to reveal that they are in fact someone else, uh, and their face just sort of goes like slightly limp and seems to detach from their bones a little bit. That's him. Yeah, that's, that's him. That's I done. keep I keep waiting to see who's actually under the Ted Cruz mask. That's but I'm, solid. I, but I'm afraid. I'm deeply afraid to. Yeah, that that's that's that that's a solid take right there. That's what All I'm right, here so, for, man. You know, so speaking of these house retirements and what's going to go on with the Senate and the fact that Democrats, going back to some of my rage uh democrats are not taking advantage of the fact that republicans are absolutely nowhere um and that so meant that these swing voters are precisely the folks who essentially uh filed a protest vote uh by voting for trump they said shit's not working let's blow up the system um and if now they've given the system to one group and that group is fucking it up one would think that they might be gettable or some percentage of them can be gettable, um, especially on the local level, which is, as I mentioned, uh, incredibly important. Yeah, the okay, idea, so, you know, the, yeah. I'll let you take this. Yeah, yeah no, it's fine. So let's let, we'll talk about uh, what the Democrats should and shouldn't be doing with Trump. There are some people out there uh, on the interwebs and uh, in the public prints, uh, as well as some of the Never Trumpers who exist in in real life, apparently. Uh, who are a, who are a little bit upset with the extent to which uh, Trump has been apparently working with the Democrats, or rather with the way that the Democratic leadership has been working with Trump over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, That's first, an incredibly important distinction. Yeah, it is. That is an incredibly important distinction. First, uh, yeah, as, yeah. as as I said after the ele- uh, after, said after the election, but when you and I were still just talking about doing this doing this podcast together, there is no one I would rather have as the minority leader than Chuck Schumer. Sure. So the question here is, 
so, you know, there's been, you know, this, this cooperation began with uh, the decision to, uh, or the agreement to, uh, to fund uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey aid, and then also to push uh, the debt ceiling or, or to, you know, schedule the debt ceiling uh, vote for December. Uh, it has continued with a deal with a with a possible deal on DACA, uh, which was on, and then it was off, and then it was on, and then it was off again. I mean, you know, you know, Trump goes back on himself and his administration a couple of times a day. Uh, but anyway, it seems like there is both, both disappointingly and surprisingly, Ann Coulter did not just explode from. I would have thought that she would have would have would have been that final moment uh, immolated, but apparently not. In but Trump, we trust. Like, Wasn't that the name of the book? Hmm. Wasn't that the name oh, yeah, of the Trump book in Trump yeah, Trust? Exactly. No, she's no that that lady is mad online and presumably in real life. Uh, so uh, you know, there's been. I mean, the Republicans are I mean, particularly the Trump base is furious about the DACA deal um, because there is nothing that they want more than to send back people who's only who have only known America as a home. Uh, so anyway, there is some. Well, yeah, six year olds are stealing their jobs. Yeah, and now there is. Uh, because I guess discussion. many of them are intellectually only advanced as a six-year-old. Sure. And there's a report that is coming. There's coming out. Came out of the White House about a conference uh, with uh, with Democrats, in which uh, they pushed. A, they suggest in which there was a discussion of a single-payer bill, um, and Trump sort of jokingly suggested that he might support it if he could call it repeal and replaced. Which they said you can support. It, you know, you can call it whatever you like. Hilarity ensues. But this being dumbest timeline, America. It, it is, there is an existent chance, and we're going to talk about single-payer specifically a little bit later, there is an existent chance that Trump would sign a single-payer bill per, so that he could then go out and say, we repealed Obamacare and replaced it. It just happens that what we replaced it with is the biggest piece of social democratic legislation since the Great Society. That is not going to be an issue for him as long as people say nice things about him on the news. Uh, and it would absolutely delight me, and I, I would sort of die of mixed feelings, but mainly delight uh, if that if that were to actually happen. So anyway, long and the short of yeah, it is. Do you know what do you know what a peak dumbest timeline America is? I think I just envisioned it. What is it? I think I figured out what Everest is in the, in this case. It's Trump signing the single single payer bill, and then in the after party at the White House, which obviously there would have to be. You know that famous picture of Princess Di and John Travolta dancing together in the White House during the Reagan years. There's, there's a picture that you know pops up bubbles up from time to time at Princess Diane John Travolta. Those are, a lot of, those are a lot of words that I was not prepared to hear in that order. Yeah. So the peak of Everest is after Trump has signed the single payer bill because he and Bernie Sanders are on, are on best terms now is him and Nancy Pelosi dancing at the white house. Yeah. And the cover of the New York times the next day is healthcare for all. And then a big picture of Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi dancing. Yeah, that is it, that is Everest. And at that moment, I really will slip this mortal coil. Uh, yeah. So, you know, anyway, we all have something to look forward to here. The question, again, this is not this is where this is not the way to bet. Please do not bet on that happening. Uh, but also, I wouldn't bet the farm against it. So as, as oh, I, hell, yeah, if somebody's giving you thousand to one odds, put a buck down, put a buck down. Absolutely. So the uh, so some folks, uh, for example, at Commentary magazine uh, and again, some never Trumpers are very upset about this. They are very worried uh, because. They are concerned that cooperating with Trump robs the Democratic Party of the only unifying principle of the party, which is to say the thing that gives them definition right now is, is opposing Trump. Uh, if they don't, if they continue to work with him, it'll erode their unity 
uh, and the Democratic Party won't stand for anything. And first of all, I can tell you as a lifelong Democrat and, a, you know, and, and someone who spent his career working in and around Democratic politics, I can tell you that we don't require a figure like Donald Trump to work with or not to work with uh, to allow to uh, push us to balkanize and not stand for anything. We are perfectly capable of doing that internally and on our own. And I will thank you all not to stare. Yeah, we excel at that. We excel. That's that's man. That's where we came in, guys. Yeah. But so also, the, the, yes. I, yeah. But also the idea, that, and I and I sort of take the point. I don't want to spend a lot more time on this, but I will. But I, but the but the one point that I would make is the idea that Trump making a couple of deals with Democrats, and and again, like maybe no DACA deal is signed, right? Nothing, none of this has actually come into being. Uh, in a way that has legal force as of this recording. So again, like these are just deals in principle, which he could, which he has historically gone back on. That's been his modus operandi. Uh, the idea that the Democratic Party will, that 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 fury and rage at him will somehow uh, will will somehow dissipate because he's made a couple of deals with Democrats just does not hold up to me. So I, I, I enjoin you, good people, do not listen to these concerns that Democrats somehow. Uh, will lose their unity against Trump by occasionally dealing with him. Uh, that that the flame of our rage burns bright and forever. Yeah, you know, going back to the commentary, guys, um, and it's it it's a podcast that some of our listeners may be uncomfortable listening to at times, but I actually do suggest it. Um, John Podhoritz, Abe Greenwald, Green Greenman, Greenwald, whatever his name is, and and um, Noah Rothman are, are are smart guys. They're good with a turn of phrase, and uh, they may be more never Trump than any Democrat. Um, but their point, it wasn't so much that they were worried about, uh, what the Democrats would do if suddenly they lost that unifying principle. It was almost glee mm. that the Democrats could lose this one single unifying principle. Um, but then, you know, as they talked around it and as I've talked, as Frank, you and I have talked about it, um, talked about it with other people, um, I think Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, who has very much surprised me in the last few days um, in terms of how she's been dealing with the caucus and some of the pushback that she's been getting, um, appear far more pragmatic than I necessarily would have thought that certainly she is. Um, but Chuck Schumer is just a deal maker. Uh, he, he is almost, he's bizarro Donald Trump in a lot of ways. Um, you know, well, he wants, he, yeah, he wants to make a deal. He wants to schmooze. He's going to hit your, you know, he's going to hit, hit, hit your, you know, buzzer points to get you going. And that's why Trump likes him. I mean, the reporting is, is that Trump likes talking to Schumer and Pelosi because he has more in common with them than he does with Ryan and McConnell, which is spot on. And who the mm-hmm. fuck wants to sit around and have I don't necessarily know that's actually all that credible, but but he can be made to believe he does. Right. I mean, like, who really wants to hang out with Paul Ryan talking about repealing Medicare over beers at a kegger? where you can have Chinese food with Chuck and Nancy at the White House. God, I hope these aren't our only choices. These are currently are our only choices. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, but, for, but further to your point, right? Like, and here, here's the other thing I think is just worth saying about, particularly the DACA deal about Democrats working with this. Like, I mean, these are real people with real lives. If you can make a deal, you have to. And, I, and, and if you have to make a deal with the devil himself in order to get, in order to get this, this, the, the, uh, uh, the repeal of DACA, uh, corrected and give the dreamers of you know a you know a life in the only country they've ever known. Then I mean you know get Satan on the phone. Let's make this. Yeah, I, I have zero. Pro- I actually uh, I'll go even further than that. If you've got a president who is on such outs with his own party and so desperate for attention and positive media coverage that you can talk him into doing things that are to your advantage, 
Use it till you lose it. You'd be a fool not to. You'd be and, a and fool a, not and to. A, and again, there is there is no da- there is no danger of the unifying power of hatred for this man dissipating within no. the it, Let's give an example of what I mean. Yesterday afternoon, having gotten several days of positive press coverage as the result of his having a, a polite conversations and making agreements in principle with Democrats, uh, Donald Trump decided to go decided to return to the scene of the crime uh, and and uh, doubled down on his comments after Charlottesville. Because the guy can't leave well enough alone. I mean, he was bailed out. His, his plunge in the polls was bailed out of two hurricanes. The man is a two-hurricane president. That's how many hurricanes it takes to distract people from how awful he is to allow him to regain some standing in the polls. Uh, so the man, you know, waited out the two hurricanes. And then having gotten a little bit of a bump in the polls, it looked like things might be headed in at least a slightly more peaceful direction. Nah, man, I'm going back to Charlottesville. That was, that, that was, a, that was a good week, and I'm going to do it again. Yeah. My favorite part about this is Trump did five media availabilities yesterday when he was back and forth to Florida. And I think the Charlottesville comment happened in the, happened in the fourth one. So it's basically like the first and second, damn, I didn't get the reaction I was hoping for. Third one, let me up the ante. Huh, damn it. Didn't get it there. Fourth one. Wait a minute. I know what I can do. <laughs> wait a minute. I got, I got it. I got it. God, what, God, what was the, you know, if he hadn't gotten it on the fourth one, what would the fifth one have been? I wonder, you know, who had some good ideas. History hasn't been kind to him, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Genghis Kong. <laughs> uh, you know who I've been looking into a lot about? He's a man who's been appreciated more and more. Tamerlane the Great. Attila the Hun has been underrated for years. <laughs> underrated, for, that's exactly right. More and more people are talking about Attila, who's done just a tremendous job. And and it's true, you can't argue with Attila the Hun has done a, just, a, a, just a tremendous, tremendous Look, job. Look, think what you will about Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Man had some successes under his belt. That's, that's, that's exactly right. You know who isn't really appreciated, but who is just... Just an extraordinary, a beautiful person with a tremendous vision is Alaric the Goth. I mean, that's where you're really telling. I mean, folks, folks, Alaric, what do we even know about this guy? Who knows about him? I do. I just found out about him. A tremendous individual who did an absolutely astonishing job. So that's something we're really looking at. You know who was terrific? Nero. Nero, that's sure. There we go. Now you're talking. Do you know who people are talking about more and more? Mrs. O'Leary's cow. <laughs> i think that would have been like the 10th press conference it's a cow but it's the most famous cow in history yeah people are still talking about that cow everyone knows his name i heard about it on television the other day yeah so uh speaking of actually i can't i don't even know how to make this transition <laughs> I, I, speaking of people doing a tremendous job <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> that there actually works. No, I was actually going to do something like, you know, after five press conferences, he must have been tired. So it's a good thing he got a good night of sleep on his Casper mattress. Like, yeah, that's a good one as well. That's, 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 next, that yeah, that, that yes. was the direction I was going to go. And by I the like way, every, everyone should know that we get our, our transition inspiration from the Pod Save America dickheads. So I, I, I do not. You may. I listen to them about maybe what, once a month. This week I listened to them because they had Hillary Clinton on. And, uh, their transitions are just, it's like ripping a Band-Aid off brutal. Yeah, eh, it's hard to do this work, man. Yeah, I mean, the ours, fl- the ours, ours flow. They're naturalistic. One this, thing where, and you can you tell know, they're naturalistic as we just keep talking about them. We're zipping and zapping about uh, uh, single-payer health care or Iran policy. Next thing you know, we're hitting you up with Tommy John 
boxers and blue apron. You don't know where we're, you don't know where we're going next. I want to start one called red apron. That is, uh, that is, you order your dinner and, and, and instead of a little package, uh, a parcel of communists arrive, <laughs> set up a, set up a series of committees, replan your, replan your flat, uh, or your home or whatever. And, uh, and eventually de- and develop a five-year plan by which at the end of five years, you will be able to grow all of your own food and make all of your own supper from essentially from scratch. And you're a member of the Politburo. And you're made. That's exactly right. And you're a member of the party. See, I was thinking like, Red apron, maybe, folks. yeah, maybe it's like black apron and it's a guy that just shows up and punches you in the <laughs> face and says, look, you have two choices. You can either order food that somebody else cooked or you can go to the grocery store and buy food and cook it yourself. Now, black, black apron is a, is a food pirate who comes to your home and steals your food. <laughs> Why do I keep ordering from black apron? I have nothing to eat. Blackapron.com. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Use the code. I don't know what. Pirate for a ten percent discount. <laughs> All right, now that we somehow worked Casper mattresses into this shit show of a floating canoe, that's why all of our <laughs> listeners are actually stuck in bed because there's like people think we're floating in some like galleon or cruise ship. No, no, no. People are doing hard work on canoes and kayaks. Because mm-hmm. well, in the dumbest time, dumbest timeline, America, you're working against the rapids. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yep, that's that's entirely it. All right. Sorry about that. Very, very abrupt stop. Uh, Frank and I went on to have a conversation about single payer healthcare, um, some of the political realities, some of the ideas behind single payer, the moral imperatives behind it, uh, some of the problems with it. And it was a pretty lengthy conversation. And we decided that we're going to can it and release it as a standalone next week uh, because of our schedules and the high holidays. Uh, We weren't sure if we were going to have a chance to record. So we're going to release that some point next week, probably Wednesday or Thursday. Um, But in the meantime, thank you for listening thus far. Uh, Please join us again next week. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter at at @takingship, and that's ship with a P as in patronage. Um, Check us out on Facebook as well. And with that, Frank, where exactly are we headed this week? We go this week to lovely St. John's, Canada, where the good citizens are electing a new mayor on September 26th. This campaign occasioned a brief outbreak of adorability earlier this week when an Australian cattle dog named Finn announced his candidacy via his campaign manager. Um, I assumed that uh, Finn would run as a unifier, someone who could bring a disparate group together because I hasten to add that's literally what shepherd dogs actually do. Uh, and I'm, I'm surprised, now that I think about it, I'm surprised we haven't elected a shepherd, a shepherd dog of some kind before now. They really do bring things together. Uh, this whole thing was, as far as I could tell, an absolute slam dunk until it transpired that Finn wouldn't actually be on the ballot. The official story is that the dog was uh, was on the was you know it was announced as a his candidacy was announced as a publicity stunt, and he was never a real candidate at all. But I smell sharp practice. Keeping qualified and worthy candidates off of ballots is what our enemies have done to divide us since time immemorial. And with democracy under explicit and uh, implicit assault across the globe, Ellie and I are prepared to stand up for the kind of fair and mature process that leads to the result we all want, which is for a city of 200,000 people to be governed by a cattle dog. If we allow this outrage to stand, they'll be telling us Lenu isn't the president of Finland next, and and we won't goddamn stand for it. Not for a moment will we stand for it. Some wrongs have to be righted. Friends, we take ship now for St. John's and for democracy itself. Take care, everybody.